As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, this is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Hugh Wozencroft. Today, we'll talk international football. England show their versatility, but are they still playing it safe? The Republic of Ireland are at a low ebb after defeat to Luxembourg. We'll concentrate on their manager Stephen Kenny's future. Elsewhere, we'll ask, should athletes and stars quit social media over the unfiltered river of online abuse? And after Ronaldo's rage, we will talk Top strops to help me through it all. Alison Rudd, Tom Clark, and Gregor Robertson. How are you doing, guys? Good. Very how well. are you? Doing? Good, good. And that's the sort of enthusiasm you want on an international football weekend, to be perfectly honest, because there are fans that miss the Premier League, the FA Cup, you know, the EFL, whatever it might be. But actually, international football has given us loads to talk about. Let's reflect on two wins from two and a perfect start to World Cup qualifiers for England. They played a 4-3-3 formation in their 5-0 win over San Marino and the 2-0 win against Albania. Manchester City's John Stones was back. He started both games, as did Calvin Phillips of Leeds United. We'll examine the changes to the defence and the midfield to see if that will help or hinder England at the Euros this summer. But England at 23 unbeaten in World Cup qualifying now. They've had clean sheets in nine of their last 11 games. But they have played four at the back this weekend. That is a shift from the 3-4-3 that we were expecting from Gareth Southgate that we've seen for a long time. Tom, do you think he was looking at his options in the past couple of games against Albania and San Marino? or, Or is this a change that you think he's going to commit to? I don't think he's going to commit to it. No, uh, I think it's more probably about keeping you lot happy and all the people who've been banging on about (laughs) playing four at the back and switching systems. He's bowed to the pressure and I was devastated to see it. No, um, I think it it was good. There were positives, weren't there? And for um, for all you fans of the 4-3-3 system, it was interesting that in the back four, he picked teammates, which I thought was a positive in picking Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire. Manchester United teammates and then Man City teammates in Stones and Walker. I think as good as um, Rhys James has been for Chelsea, that if we were going to play a back four, that would be my back four. And I think that always helps at international level. But it'll be interesting to see how he now goes against Poland and whether he reverts to that three at the back. And I've been reading and listening to a lot of the punditry yesterday and there was a suggestion that it's a good thing to go into a tournament with two different systems. I'm, I'm not entirely sure that's the case. I've obviously been a big defender of Southgate and his back three. I would say that I'm not exactly wedded to it. What I am wedded to is a consistency and knowing what system you're going to play in order to get good results at international level, particularly when th- these are players who all play for different clubs in different systems and then they come together 
having that level of consistency is a good thing. So I don't see this as being a shift from Southgate to now play 4-3-3. I wonder whether it was a bit of experimentation. And I do wonder whether it was a bit of trying to keep everyone happy who's been clamoring for a change in system. So we'll see. But I think there were positives to take from it, definitely. So do you think, Tom, he, he <laughs> do you think he, he went to four at the back and made sure England were very, very boring so that people would, would start to think, oh, maybe, maybe three at the back isn't so bad? It's, it's an outrageous suggestion, Alison. But but there is but there is a there is a broader point within this discussion about systems in that and um our chief football writer Henry Winter made it on Twitter in saying that even with this switch, which many perceive at the outset to be more attacking, in doing so he still played Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips as holding midfielders in that three. Um there were I particularly enjoyed Ian Wright's a very enthusiastic man about football, but I did enjoy his potential selected 4-3-3 on ITV yesterday in which he picked Mason Mount as a holding midfielder and Jack Grealish and Phil Foden alongside him which there is a a part of this debate that's rumbled on for a long time of which that is is part of the debate in that there's a lot of football fans out there who want to see Phil Foden or Jack Grealish playing in this kind of central role and I don't I don't think that's ever going to happen I don't think that was ever going to happen uh, Alison, you say that it's um, it was a clever ploy by Southgate. I think it was more honest. I think it was Southgate saying, okay, well, we can switch formation, but this is as good as it's going to get. This, <laughs> Mason Mount and two holding midfielders is as good as it's going to get because I don't, I don't see any of these great attacking players, and they are fantastic, but I don't see any of them playing in a central area. As James Gearbrand's written in the Times this morning, it's Raheem Sterling, Harry Kane, and then one more from Phil Foden, Jack Grealish, Jaden Sancho, and Marcus Rashford. That that's where we're at. So I th- I, don't, I don't think it was a clever political ploy from my mate Gareth. I think it was just honesty and saying we can switch system. This is as good as it's going to get, guys. I think that last point is on the money. I think this is that was as close as a, as the team that I would want to see England play. Um, in the Euros, there'll be question marks about the right back Walker. Although Walk, you know Walker reminds you, he's still <laughs> he's still like a flying machine, and he's you know pretty much as good defensively as he is going forward as well. He's very experienced too, so who knows? He might still be the man to to have that shirt. Um, and obviously Phillips might be the one to make way for for Henderson if he's fit. But apart from that, I think that's pretty much the team. And I think you know it, Tom's right in that it's going to be too. It's going to be two holding midfielders. So as we, we kind of briefly discussed yesterday, I think we were basically saying, are you going to have a an extra defender or are you going to have someone of Mason Mount's kind of uh, abilities in that in that area? And that, I would clearly have the, well, I would definitely have the latter. Alison, what did you make of the, the changes from Gareth Southgate? Do you believe that against Poland, he'll be back with a 3-4-3 and that he's, you know, he's staying as sensible Southgate rather than something more, Sexy. <laughs> um, well, seeing as seeing as seeing as Gareth Southgate decided to mention Chelsea and he mentioned Thomas Tuchel, it. I think it, I think he's missed a trick because Tuchel came in and said, "Right, we're playing three at the back," and he didn't try and um, disguise why he just wanted he just wanted Chelsea to be more solid. Uh, but he also said at the same time. Three, three, four, three. It's magic, isn't it? Because you're more solid. 
but you can also um, get your wing backs bombing forward and you can you can shift from attack from defense to attack very quickly and it's sort of worked I mean Chelsea don't score too many goals but they are really solid and uh, unless you think that's a placebo and Tuchel coming in would have done the same thing if whatever system he played just told people it was magic and would make them more solid so I do feel I'm with Tom I feel Southgate needs to say I think he needs to say this is why we're playing this system I believe this system in international football means you're solid and you will score goals because we've got some great attacking players instead now we've got, now he's switched switched from well he keeps on switching doesn't he so he's, he's switched from three to four from four to three now he's back at four it loses its um, well. It, 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 it's losing the PR battle with it, I think, because people are thinking, well, what, what does it mean? What, what's the what's the reason for it? Is he just experimenting, or do we do we actually see an England here that we can we can get behind? Because what I want, well, I think what, it's exactly what Tom wants as well. Is I want England to go into a tournament and people to know what they are, and people to say England play system X. They play system X really well. And they're really hard to break down, and there's a reason for it. So you could you could argue it was genius to play uh, a defensive lineup with two holding midfielders because it meant that Luke Shaw had the confidence to go forward to uh, put in the cross that led to the opening goal. You need to give your fullbacks that um, freedom of expression. Would you know as an alternative universe where Luke Shaw bombs forward and loses possession and. England look porous at the back. So I just, I just, I think, anyway, to reiterate, I think Southgate, by changing it, the system is losing the crowd, I think. Firstly, I'd say I can't believe that I've made my points in, about a back three in England system. I've had Gregor and Alison agree with me, which is just fantastic. I, I agree with you and I don't agree with you too. I'll come back <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, it's good. He's, he's already clarified. But I just wanted to, Hugh, I wanted to ask you, you've been a, the voice of the people, I think, if you like, on the game podcast <laughs> when talking about England's attacking options. How did you feel watching that and thinking, well, okay, maybe this is the reality that Mason Mount and a combination of either Jack Grealish or Phil Foden, that's about as good as it's going to get. Did, did you feel more infused? Were you more excited about that prospect? No. Any time that I think you advocate the four-three-three, you only need one holder. I think England have more than enough good players. But but it was interesting. I think without a Henderson there, you know, even if you talk about, it doesn't matter what formation, if you talk about Chelsea, the ability to sort of monopolise possession because of the quality of those central midfield players, is there's just a difference there when it comes to England. You know, Calvin Phillips, fair enough. You know, he's a Leeds United player. He's done exceptionally well to get into the squad. We're not going to monopolise possession. Even Declan Rice, to be perfectly honest, with the ball, you know, he, he's improving. You know, we are not talking about the future Luka Modric or Ivan Rakitic. You know, I still think you'd go into a game against a Croatia in in the Euros and you'd say, how are we going to keep the ball off these guys? You know, and, and that is, that I think is the major concern. Mount is ever improving. Grealish is fantastic. I think at the moment I'd start both of them in a 4-3-3. Grealish as a number 10. I'd replace Henderson with Mount, even though he's got the experience. And then you think Rice is going to be the holder. If that's the voice of the people, I don't mind being the voice of the people. <laughs> I think that there there are realities here around Jordan Henderson starting every single game at the Euros and Jack Grealish being on the bench for all of them as well. I think Alison made a good point 
uh, that counters your idea about um, being a bit more attack-minded in that midfield three in that Southgate is still coming back to pragmatism ultimately in his selection in that those kind of two holding midfielders, when you play a four at the back, it's a little bit like Manchester United do with Fred and McTominay in that when you're against a team who are better than you, what we what we would have seen, we didn't see it against Albania, is that you, those two players move back and can accommodate and cover for wing-backs who are going forward. And if you're sitting really deep, they sit back even further and almost end up in a kind of 6-3-1 defensive system. So that, that that's partly why, I, as Alison's alluded to, Southgate, it, his only um, ultimate goal seems to be pragmatism and he doesn't know what system he wants to play in. So... Uh, that, that's what that's what uh, concerns me a little bit. But one thing I do find quite interesting is that everyone thought this tournament was going to be a big discussion around the likes of Phil Foden and Jack Grealish and Jaden Sancho and how you get these players in. Actually, I wonder whether this tournament's going to be all about James Ward-Prowse and Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice and Jordan Henderson. Because if ultimately the decision is going to be on what we said, either... It's going to be a two holding midfielders, regardless of the system. It's going to be which two you pick. And I found it fascinating. I was watching the first uh, the first game against San Marino and pondering about James Ward-Prowse. And I actually wrote our football newsletter. Uh, it was re- reassuring to know that people actually read the football newsletter because I wrote it all about James Ward-Prowse. And I said, if the answer is James Ward-Prowse, what is the question? And I discussed the idea of his role in the England team and rather kind of uh, sarcastically suggested that he wasn't perhaps the answer to England's problems. And I got a good couple of responses from very passionate, I'm not sure if any of them were related to James Ward-Prowse, but extolling the virtues of his passing game. And it was interesting. I then looked into the statistics and I wonder whether there's a case to be made for him in a way that people seem to be quite, and Gareth Southgate seems to be very fond of Mason Mount because he's an attacking player with a defensive side to him. I wonder whether James Ward-Prowse is a more defensive-minded player with an attacking side to him. I, I don't know what the people... I've got I've got a couple of stats ready for it, but I don't know what people's it, it views depends, are on James Ward-Prowse. It depends, it, it depends if you want to win the European Championship, doesn't it? You know, that and, that, and ultimately, I don't think James Ward-Prowse is going to get you there. So we can talk about how good he is as a player if you want to, but if we want to have a conversation about where we expect England can get with the squad of players at their disposal, which is at least to the European Championship semi-final, possibly to a final. We're talking about World Cup semi-finalists, ultimately. It's about the team as a whole, too, because, you know, you look at someone like Mount, and, it's, and it depends if, if you're talking about War Prowse is great at pressing. And he's, he, he could even be the man that's slightly advanced. He's not going to be, but he could do that because he's got that much energy and dynamism. I just think that this whole, like, this is surely the middle ground. If, you know, if someone like Thomas saying back three, you know, three, four, three, and you're, you're, so that's essentially having seven, seven of the players with initially an, inst- an instinct to defend. This is surely the middle ground. Uh, Hugh, they're not going to play one man holding, particularly if it's a back four. So I think you need to forget that. So this is surely the middle ground. And if you, yeah, I would also, part of me would like to see Mount being one of the holders because as, a, as it was discussed yesterday, he is a real all-rounder and he can do that side of it as well. I still think it's going to happen. And he's, and he's also very good in that slightly, slightly advanced role. So I think, this, I think that is the, is the way forward for England because most of the teams you're, play, you're going to play against, you will be the, the team ex- with the initiative. So 
you know, the fullbacks have still got plenty of license to go forward if there's two sitting sitting midfielders. You've got a block of four there. That's that is a solid base from which to build. So I think that personally is the middle ground for Garasowski and England. And if you look at teams that win major tournaments, they they make sure when they get a a free kick, they score from it. And who's going to do that? James Ward Prowse. Well, yeah. See, no, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. I think I think that's an excellent point as well. Let's be honest, England had a great World Cup, but one of their strengths was set pieces. Kieran Trippier's delivery, Ashley Young's delivery, that's part of the reason they were in, in the starting eleven, I think, and they scored a lot of goals from corners and free kicks. I'm, I'm not suggesting that James Ward-Prowse is a world-beating, top-level international player, but I, in this discussion around how to get the best out of a ultimately a compromised system, if you like, it's someone like him who, when it comes to the statistics, has created more chances than the likes of um, Declan Rice and people, but can, as Gregor says, is very effective in the press and wins a lot of tackles. For, for tackles won in the Premier League this season, he's actually sixth alongside the likes of N'Golo Kante, just behind Pierre-Emile Hoiberg, and actually ahead of Declan Rice. And I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't necessarily think that was really a part of his game. So... I, I'm not. He's he's they perhaps do a lot of defending at Southampton at the moment. But they so, uh, they absolutely do absolutely do a lot of defending. Of course, and it is part. the team doesn't have the ball. Just so you know, Tom. Yeah. All right. Thanks very much. <laughs> um, but it, but he does also score a lot of goals and create chances. Um, and I'm I'm merely presenting him as an option in a very kind of eight out of ten kind of role as maybe bringing something a little bit more attacking while still giving Gareth the pragmatism that he wants. Um, if, we, if, we, if, we, if England face teams in the Euros who just defend deep, defend deep, give us very little. So it doesn't matter whether Madison makes it or not, or Grealish is there or not. There's just, you know, very little space. But you win a free kick, then, then all bets are off if you've got James Ward-Prowse. Who, who I bet you going into the Euros will have the best stats on free kicks executed per 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 something. Clearly, he's the English Gilfie Sigurdsson, and this is why Alison <laughs> cares so much about him. I just think, going to say we're kind of forgetting about you know experience and leadership and that kind of stature thing. And, it, and if you had Phil, if you had uh, Rice, and the person alongside him is not Henderson. If it's Rice and Mount or Rice and Ward-Prowse, I think there's a perception. You would look at England's midfield there and think there's not experience and kind of, I don't want to say leadership, but just like, you know, international experience, European football as well. So I think Henderson's going to be the one alongside. Alongside him, I think you just need to accept that as well. So this is a moot point. He ain't going to play. If there was three in midfield, who would yours be? I think it's going to be two all day. I think it'll be... It'll be Rice, Henderson, and Mount in front of him. I'd like, I, as I said before, I wouldn't. I would happily see. I don't think it's going to happen for that reason. I would happily see Mount be the one sitting deeper as well, and have someone more attack-minded, possibly like Foden or Grealish, up on front of them in certain games. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think Mount's going to be the one in the, one advanced of the the holding two. An inspired midfield for England this summer, Tom Rice. Mount Henderson. I think that will probably be the the choice if uh, Gareth Southgate has everyone fit. There is there is a point to be made about Jordan Henderson's fitness and the fact that he's spent a lot of the season playing as a makeshift centre back. 
which can't again can't be helpful going into a tournament. Again, I keep coming back to this point about a settled team and a settled system. I'm not for a minute suggesting James Ward-Prowse is a better option than Jordan Henderson. And as I said, I actually started my uh, trip down the James Ward-Prowse rabbit hole thinking that he he wasn't a particularly good option for England. But I think that would be the best case scenario if I think England wanted someone reliable to press effectively, but also give them attacking options. I think Ward-Prowse, if Henderson wasn't fit, would be the next best fit alongside Declan Rice and just slightly behind Mason Mount. Again, I'm just trying to be realistic within what I know my mate Gareth's really thinking, which is make England solid and try and get into the knockout phases and take it from there. Also, James Ward-Prowse does have lots of international experience. He's under Gareth Southgate. He was the linchpin for his under-21 team. If you're going to say... Under-21s don't count, then don't have them. Isn't that the point, that you, you get people, you get young English players used to international stage? I agree with what you're saying there. The, the likes of James Ward-Prowse, they are talented players. England have a host of talented players. The, the argument over the system and formations and personnel boils down to balance. I, I actually don't think England were better defensively with a back three than they are now with a back four. It was just a, an extra person defensively in my opinion, which which made no difference to how they defended. They were equally as good or bad, depending on how, on how you look at it, with either system. So, the, you know, the, the Thomas Tuchel argument was great because he did make Chelsea much more solid by changing to that system. I don't think England went up a gear in terms of their defending by having a 3-4-3. So if they stay with it for all of their big games coming up, it'll be interesting to see if they bring it back against Poland. For me, that that's just a, a manager who is safety first. That's the but that's the crux of it, Hugh. That is the very crux of it. Is that T- Tuchel told us that three four three was amazing and would solve all the problems, and we bought into it. Whereas Southgate is far too polite and pragmatic, and on the one hand, on the other, if he was. If he sold us the three at the back in the same way that Tuchel did, we wouldn't be having this conversation, I don't think. Do you think Tuchel would have played that if his midfield two was Rice and Henderson? <laughs> and would he well, played, you know, you know, he'd also he has, let's, he let's, has let's remember, Let's remember he also played Callum Hudson Nadoy as a right wing back. So he has there's other areas of the pitch where he's thought, right, okay, we can be a, bit, a little bit more dynamic and attack in there. But as I say, they don't have Kovacic, they don't have Kante. It's all about balance, and if uh, you know, if if you're if you're playing three at the back and two wing backs who are essentially full backs, and your midfield two are, are Rice and Henderson, where is the creativity apart from the front three? It's non-existent. There's no there's no link no link between them. So this is the this is the the best middle ground I think having Mount in that that little hole. But but Tuchel came in just like an international manager would, and he's rotated in every single position. He's treated it as a, like a microcosm of what it's like to be an international manager. He's put everyone everywhere. He's dropped everyone and then reinstated them. The only thing he, he knows, weirdly, I think he really, really knows, is that Mason Mount is a world beater, which is exactly what Southgate and the rest of England know as well. He dropped him too for a period of time, but I do want to talk about Mason Mount because he's now started seven straight matches for England. He's looking an integral part of the team. Um, don't know what happens to him if Jordan Henderson comes back, but as Greg has alluded to, he probably is now a, a dead cert as a starter for England going forward, as long as he keeps up his club form. His reputation is growing. 
I saw Gregor an industry to him. There's a decisiveness to his game as well. Do, do you think he now is one of the main men for Gareth Southgate? I think he really has played his way into, you know, being someone who's probably part of the starting eleven. Yeah. Uh, it, look, there's so many things, you know, things can change between now and end of the season too. We wouldn't have said about two months ago that Luke Shaw was going to be looking like someone who'd be starting a left back. Um, you know, Foden has come on leaps and bounds this season, so things can change. But at the moment, I think yes, because he he does he he is an all rounder. He's got the industry. He's got the kind of the bit of needle or tenaciousness, but he's also that little touch for the for the for England's first goal. The ball was up in the air, and he kind of knew, you know, his spatial awareness. He knew where the, the opponent was, and he chopped back, and that kind of started the that started the move there, really. Um, so he's got that little bit of craft as well. So I think he's a real all rounder, um, and his versatility as well. I think, you know, as Alison alluded to there, it's true. Even if even if that is the system, the players you deploy in the system can change depending on who the opponents are. So there might be games where I don't think it's going to happen, but. You know, Southgate could play him as one of the deeper lying uh, players against a San Marino type team. Although you know, there's not many of them. But you know, it could do that. He could rotate those positions in midfield a little bit. Um, so, so yes, he's he's uh, he's definitely someone who I think will be in the starting eleven. Alison, should Jordan Henderson be worried about his starting position? Well, only in terms of his fitness and uh, how much. I mean, it'll be a standing start for him, won't it, if he doesn't feature, and he's not going to feature before the, the, the tournament starts. And that's always a slight concern. I think he's, um, I think Southgate really likes him and he he has that proper sort of, you know, he's not the captain, but he is sort of um, heir to him. So, but it's just interesting. We've just been saying how we like Mason Mount because he's, partly because he's so adaptable and he is, and that is an incredible, for someone so young, that is incredible about his game. You can sort of play him anywhere, but we're seeing Jordan Henderson's adaptability as a negative for some reason. So Tom's saying the fact that he's um, slotted in at centre-back, that's not very good, is it? Well, actually, doesn't that just add something sort of crazily good about him? Because, I mean, I don't think many people would have predicted he'd be, so good. I mean, not brilliant, but better than we would have expected someone to be um, trying to sort of shore up the defence at a club having a mini crisis. So I think that's done his standing. You know, it, it, I I wouldn't treat that as a negative. I would say, wow, are England lucky to have somebody who's that sort of captain fantastic material? Well, I'm not quite sure Jordan Henderson's appearances at centre-back for Liverpool have been quite as revelatory as you suggest, Alison. But uh, look, he I wasn't suggesting that he's in trouble for his England place. I think the fitness and the number of games he's played is the only real concern. Um, uh, but I, I guess with the midfield point, and I was reflecting before the show about there was a time for Liverpool when everything was rosy and everyone was fit, where we were discussing Henderson in that guise of a slightly more attacking-minded midfielder. And he was talking about for Liverpool, yeah, I'm going to try and get forward. I'm going to try and score some goals. It, it's more in that guys that I see his performances and having to play in the centre of defence as a bad thing because it would have been great for England if if he had been able to play for Liverpool in that in a midfield role where he was able to break forward and get into the box because perhaps we wouldn't be having this conversation. Um, there's another there's another quick point about Mason Mount is that he and Declan Rice are best mates and have known each other for a long, 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 long time. And 
I, I keep coming back to it, but whenever I reflect on international teams that have done well, they have links across the pitch, whether it's at a club level, whether it's youth level, players who played together. And so any any little bonus like that is another good factor, I think. Well, it's Poland up next for England at Wembley on Wednesday night. I'm sure we'll talk about that on Thursday. But does anyone stick with a back four for that match? Or would you all go 3-4-3? Three, three? I don't really mind at this point. I just want... I just want my mate Gareth to believe in himself again and stick with a system. And as Alison said, maybe come out and have his Mike Bassett moment and say, we are playing three, four, three, and this is why, and shut up and leave me alone. Or we're playing four, three, three, and Mason Mount is going to be the saviour of English football. I don't mind. Just just pick one and stick with it, Gareth. It's not, time's running out, son. <laughs> Anyone I'd, else? I'd stick with the back four. I mean, most teams play with one one striker, two centre-halves to deal with them, two, two holding midfielders in front. Midfield's where the game's won and lost, so you've got an extra body in there and a bit more creativity. And England, no matter who they play, no matter who they play, should be thinking we're we're good enough to go and beat, beat this team. And it, seriously, any opposition, because of the attack, attacking talent particularly that you have. Except Scott. Yeah, if you're, if, yeah, I agree. If you're too reactive to your opposition, that you you hand them, you hand them, I don't know, half a goal start, don't you? Because they think they just they'll feel they'll feel good if they feel that England is tinkering away because they're worried about who your main striker is or isn't. So we're, 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 are we settled? Did anyone come to a, a, a real conclusion there over Gareth Southgate? Three, four, three. The conclusion, yeah. The conclusion, Hugh, is we need a conclusion. <laughs> four three three. I'm happy to I'm happy to give up on my back three. I'm happy to if he sticks with it. That's all I want. I just I just want him to believe in himself. Just stick with it. Come on, Gareth. I, I think you're right. I, I was I was clambering there to see if we had a definite answer, but I think uh, Alison has nailed it. We just want to know for sure going forward. Who who doesn't want that sense of certainty in a world that at the moment is so topsy turvy? We'll see if Gareth Southgate can provide that for us a little bit later on in the week. Um, in a moment, we'll be talking about the Republic of Ireland and a perceived crisis at the FAI after a horrendous result against Luxembourg. I'll speak to Paul Rowan, our Irish football correspondent, next. But remember, you can get more of our award-winning journalism across all of your devices right now by getting yourself a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. If you sign up today, you'll get one month free. Go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This weekend, the Republic of Ireland suffered one of the worst defeats in their history, beaten 1-0 at home by the 98th ranked team in the world, Luxembourg. Their manager, Stephen Kenny, has now lost his first two World Cup qualifiers. He hasn't won any of his first 10 matches in charge. Earlier on, I spoke to the Times Irish football correspondent, Paul Rowan. He's written in the Times about what is going on with Kenny's side. I began by asking him where this defeat to Luxembourg ranks in Ireland's worst ever performances. It's right up there, Hugh. Um, We've had some... Ireland have had some pretty serious pastings recently against, you know, quite, uh, you know, you know, opposition which would be of a different caliber to to Luxembourg. Um, back in 2012, uh, Giovanni Trapattoni's team got spanked six one by Germany um, at home. Um, then there was a five one drubbing from Denmark at the towards the end of Martin O'Neill's time um, at Lansdowne Road. Um, that was in a World Cup playoff. That was a big, big match. Um, but in terms of like against minnows, Ireland normally does the, you know d- does an efficient job against minnows. Um, on this occasion, it was anything but. Um, there was a serious five-two defeat to Cyprus a few years ago in in Nicosia, which was another serious blot on on the uh, the landscape of Irish football. But losing one 0 at home to Luxembourg in such a massive game is right up there with, with the worst uh, results that Ireland has had in its uh, long and checkered football history. Kenny was brought in um, because the side, I think, was lacking a style or creativity. There was a lot of um, criticism from Mick McCarthy, his predecessor. What do you think has gone wrong for him in, in not winning any of his first 10 games? Well, he's gone in very gung-ho on a very kind of possession-based game. Um, you know, he, he didn't try to kind of um, sort of phase it in in any shape or form. He, he really, right from the off, he was insisting that his players really do a kind of a, a massive U-turn in how uh, Ireland teams play. Uh, there's been a very direct style, as you will know, you know, really going back to Jack Charlton's time, you know, which was in the late 80s, early 90s, um, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, get in their faces type uh approach to the game um so involving a lot of long balls into the channels and 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 the like and then pressing teams but i mean other managers have kind of modified that approach uh to some degree like mick mccarthy who i think you mentioned there and and the likes of martin o'neill but really kenny came in with, with a kind of extraordinary zeal in terms of trying to actually get the team to to play to play out from the back you know the type of football we're seeing increasingly in the premier league which you know, for for a, a team like Ireland with the players that we have, it's been really difficult for them to adapt to it. There are Premier League players in that side, some experienced ones as well. How much responsibility do the players take, do you think, for, for what has happened of late? Uh, I think they would need to take uh, a measure of responsibility, but um, I wouldn't entirely blame the players. I think they've shown pretty good faith uh, you know, led by Seamus Coleman, obviously one of the sort of he's probably the 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 most senior ranked Premier League player in the team. I mean, obviously there's Matt Doherty at 
at Tottenham. Um, but he's been struggling. Um, and, and so of a lot of those Premier League players, uh, you know, like the likes of kind of Jeff Hendrick and, and Robbie Brady, that they've been struggling to get game time at their clubs. And, and that's really becoming a big issue, you know, for, for Irish sides. Like we used to have perhaps, um, you know, the best part of a full 11 uh, playing at, at, uh, in Premier League clubs and some for top Premier League clubs, Liverpool, Manchester United, Arsenal. Those days have kind of gone almost completely for obvious reasons. We've seen the globalization of the Premier League. Um, but I think that uh, they haven't played well under Kenny. Uh, now, the question is, have they bought into his methods? And so far, they, if they, they've tried, but they haven't succeeded. Um, are, they, are they showing bad faith? I think they're doing their best. Um, I mean, there is a kind of a, a theory in Irish football that, you know, if, if it isn't a kind of a big name manager, that the players perhaps don't respect him. And, and Kenny, you know, Kenny to some of them would have been a bit of an unknown, really. Like he, he, came, he came from a League of Ireland background um, he didn't have a distinguished playing career in any shape or form. And his managerial uh, CV is based largely on success in the League of Ireland. He did have a short spell at Dunfermline. But other than that, you know, he hasn't really managed top players and top sides. And, um, and perhaps that, that's always been a problem for any Ireland manager who, coming in, is to get the respect of the players. I mean, they say they're 100% behind the manager. Um, but but certainly they've had a lot of problems adapting to what Kenny wants from them, and, and they look flat. Um, so I, I think primarily, though, uh, I would I would say the main responsibility is on the manager and the way he's tried to introduce this new system of play. In a group with Serbia and Portugal, I, th I think you've got to say Ireland's chances of going to the World Cup are over before the campaign's really begun. I is that what the reaction's been like back home? There is a strong, of course, sports journalism tradition in the Republic of Ireland. Um, have they gone for Stephen Kenny? No, uh, not as strongly as perhaps you might have expected. I mean, there's been the usual mock-ups in the tabloids, you know, with him looking like a bit of a clown, I suppose. Um, he has a lot of friends in the Irish media, so I suppose you would say. Um, you know, a lot of people really support him, what he's trying to do. They, 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 they realise that there's been neglect in terms of developing Irish football for years and that, that there's really a paucity of players coming through um, and, and, and they recognise that. And, and so there's a lot of um, goodwill towards Stephen Kenny still. Uh, so there's a split, actually. You know, there's some people, the pragmatists want to return to the kind of football that would at least, you know, give Ireland a, a chance of getting into the playoffs, which is kind of seems to be their, you know, the, the sort of the height of expectations these days. Um, you know, the, the others who want a more root and branch change say it has to, you know, the, the senior team has to be part of that. And, um, and, and, they're, and they're still supporting Kenny in that. So, so there is a bit of a split. And, um, and 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 the 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 FAI themselves came out yesterday and sort of stood four square behind him. So I don't think that he's going to be shown the door anytime soon. Um, as as regards the group, yeah, I mean I think people have really you know people have really given up uh, even after two games. Uh, you know any chance of of Ireland qualifying? The, the plan would have been to split Portugal and and Serbia. Uh, and, and try and get a playoff place. I mean, nobody's expecting anybody other than, than Portugal to top the group. Um, so that's, that plan is in tatters now, uh, frankly. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a relatively small group. There are only eight games. 
in in that group. Um, uh, and the other the other two teams are, are you know have shown themselves to be decent enough. I mean, Luxembourg have just obviously come come to Dublin and beaten Ireland, and Azerbaijan are, are awkward too. So no, it's um, people are very very down on 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 Ireland getting to Qatar twenty twenty two. In fact, they 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 won't be making they won't be saving or booking or doing anything of that nature. I think uh, money will be going elsewhere. I imagine so. Plenty of sport for them to follow around the world elsewhere instead of football, though. But you wonder, um, Stephen Kenny, whether he will get replaced soon. How much time do you think he gets to make his ideas come to the fore? I suppose they have to kind of, um, you know, they have to really kind of articulate what exactly they want from the Ireland manager. You know, do, do, do they want, I mean, is it results at all costs, which is the normal uh, you know, sort of thing that we hear in professional football, or you know, do they really want to kind of do they will are they going to accept that they're going to have to spend some time in the wilderness in order to really develop and bring players through from the under twenty ones uh, and allow them to develop as senior players, which is you know, which is really Kenny's mantra. You know, he's not really interested in these kind of kind of gestures like kind of trying to get kind of big name English born players you know, to play for Ireland, you know, that traditional route, like, you know, we all know uh, the, the likes of Tony Cascarino, Aldrich, uh, you know, all those kind of players that came through, you know, Ray Houghton from Glasgow, you know, all those guys who, who, who declared for Ireland and who really kind of boosted the team and gave it that little extra that was needed. Kenny, Kenny's not really interested in that. The, the, the experience with kind of losing Declan Rice and Jack Grealish, like two players who, who came, you know, quite through the Ireland uh, international underage ranks, you know, from 15 or 16, right through, and then, uh, and then rejected, you know, call-ups to the senior team. That, that really hurt the Irish psyche in terms of, in terms of it, its place in, in, the, in the footballing world. And, 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 and since then, like, I think there's been far more emphasis on trying to bring through our own players, like, you know, fr- from the under-21s and blood them and give them a chance. So, you know, we've seen in the, in the last couple of games... The likes of players like Jason Malumbi and Jason Knight, like these are not big name players, you know, making their senior debuts. Uh, they, 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 they've come through the under-21 system. You know, Gavin Bazunu was in goal, you know, against Luxembourg. He did well. Uh, but, you know, he, he, he's a Manchester City, young Manchester City player on loan at Rochdale, who were bottom of League One. So, you know, the, he's, really, he's really kind of... Um, scraping the barrel a bit frankly when it comes to getting some some good players i mean and i don't mean that disrespectfully to those players they're good honest professionals but uh but but at the same time they're not the kind of caliber i don't have the kind of experience that we've seen from ireland internationals in the past at least not yet our thanks to our irish football correspondent paul rowan there Uh, kenny remains in place of course he's there for now but that could all change very very soon speaking of which uh, after leaving his job as manager of Montreal Impact, there's now an even bigger decision that's been made by Thierry Henry. He has quit social media, saying he won't return until the online abuse on the forum is regulated with the same vigour and ferocity that copyright infringements are. The England boss, Gareth Southgate, has encouraged his players to follow the former Arsenal and Barcelona forward and consider whether they need to be in that situation receiving daily abuse. Alison, do you think this is the answer? Do stars, all stars, not just sports stars, 
need to remove themselves from the platforms to instigate that change from the uh, the platforms themselves. Yeah, I think I think we've reached the point where we have two options as a society. One is every single famous person leaves social media, and then it will you know then it will have to act because it just will because the, the, there is no particular interest in very deeply average people talking about how they walk the dog and what they had for breakfast. So you do that or, or, and this is what I probably would prefer would be, and because I haven't seen it yet is some proper intelligent analysis of why people tweet abuse. And I suspect you will find that just by us having this conversation now, we are making some idiot very, very happy. You, if they've le- there's now a pattern, isn't there? You abuse somebody who is high profile and that becomes, they then share with the world the abuse and then there is indignation and calls for action. And the person who typed the abuse feels, ah, whatever it is they have lacking in their life. They feel invigorated. They feel like they matter. They're nobodies who are somebody, suddenly somebody. They, whatever it is that's fueling their anger is probably the fact that they are emasculated or sad or have nothing going on in their life. And you're giving them that power of expression. So maybe rather than boycott social media, we find a way to boycott talking about the idiots who abuse so that they don't they just don't get that sense of it being important or altering the way people speak if if every single person decided i'm not going to retweet my abuse i'm going to ignore it ignore it ignore it if no one talked about it if it wasn't an issue if we made a concerted effort to ignore the idiots i wonder I wonder if they would sort of just slowly die a slow, slow, painful little at their desk's death and just just not do it anymore. Or you go full on everybody off and make make it the responsibility of social media. But I think we need to know more about the motivation for the people who do it. Um, I suspect it's not that they are rampant misogynists or racists or whatever. It's just it's, they have a need to be heard and that's the only way they can be heard. There's no other way in their life they can be heard other than being nasty. But Alison, if there was someone running around central London with a shotgun, you would run away, wouldn't you? You wouldn't firstly try and work out why they're running around shooting everyone. I mean, there has to be a point of stopping the pain before it continues. And then maybe at a later point, doing the analysis behind the motivation. Well, but yeah, but yeah, well, this is, well, but this is it. It's not, no one, it's not. Nobody is shooting a gun. And in fact, that's an interesting point, you, because this sort of abuse doesn't tend to escalate to that sort of behaviour. I mean, if you want um, a serial killer starts by torturing and then killing, killing small animals, and then, they, and then they'll kill the family pet, and they sort of practice, and then they go out, and then they start hurting people, and then they start killing people. This is... There's no evidence that people run around murdering because they got away with it on social media. It's a completely different mindset, I think. I don't think it's there isn't a parallel at all. I think you do no, need it's to just, know it's why just people a, it's just, need it's, to it's do a, it. It's a metaphor. It's not a literal thing. But what I'm saying is, 
at some point you have to save yourself from what is clearly harm. It's, it's online harm. You know, it does affect people's lives and people either have the option of staying on that platform and trying to do something about it or they, they, they can just leave. But I think what people are saying is why should they have to? Why should they be um, made to have abuse or allow abuse to be sent to them from these platforms? Because that's basically what I'm saying to you. You're basically, I'm basically saying in this event, what we're saying is there's there's no sense of immediate prevention of harm. It's all about, you know, let, let's find out why people are doing it. That's going to be a lengthy process. And in the meantime, people can still send whatever abuse they want to whoever they want. No, I'm, I'm talking about you know, joint action here. I'm not, I'm not saying you would you would try and work out what's going on and then do nothing as well. But I do I do think if you ignore generally in life, if you ignore a bully, the bullying stops. People want a platform. Why are they why are they doing it? If there's no if, if you either boycott social media so there's no outlet that way, or you just ignore it, the abuse and don't give it the exposure, the fame, if you like, might it, might it, might it might it dwindle? Might it become less of a problem? I just think it makes people feel important. We're giving them importance. I think you know, Alison makes it a uh, an interesting point in that it has cross, begun to cross my mind as do these things need to become a news story when because it's happening so frequently now at what point does this no longer become news I know it, like it's abhorrent it's it, as you say Hugh it causes real pain and and uh, you know it, it must be horrible for, for people to to open up their social media accounts and see and see these things being written about um you know that. At what point does it? No, do we stop kind of repeating the same story like that over and over? That's that's an interesting question as well, and I think that kind of is. But then, I think I think in 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 the reality is we live in a world where so many websites are looking for clicks and news stories from anything that it would be impossible to to kind of switch that off. I think if someone hears of. And, and if players are re retweeting it themselves and reposting it and saying this is how wrong this is, then it's impossible to kind of, as you say, kind of suffocate them. I think this. I think this. I think this is probably the future. I think that if enough one player doing it, TRMRE's got two million followers on on Twitter. I think you know one player is not going to do anything. He's a, he's a big name, a huge huge star in football, so it, it, it rightly made made news and if lots of players did it then undoubtedly social media companies would have to would have to have a change of tack because you know I think it was there's a piece in the Sunday Times this week about about Jan Danda at, at Swansea who'd been racially abused recently and went after a game and went to went to the club went to I think it was reported to the police um, and essentially Facebook are saying that <laughs> You know, their account, the, the, whoever whoever sent the message, the account would be suspended for a, a certain period of time. But they feel that they they deserve a kind of second chance and like the chance to learn from their mistakes, which I, I find pretty much astonishing. If anyone, if someone writes something racist on social media, uh, then they should no longer be allowed on social media. Simple as that. Tom, what do you think? Should people? boycott social media should they leave the platforms altogether for good i think greg is right in that if there was a big number of people who did it followed thierry Henry's example it would be quite powerful his act in in itself was quite powerful in that and as well you saw arsenal sharing a screenshot of his 
removed account and how it doesn't exist anymore and saying it shouldn't have to come to this. But I, and I've mentioned this before around this subject. Social media is now such a influential platform for these clubs and for these players to communicate with fans in a positive way. And I'm not saying, I'm not suddenly saying, oh, well, racist abuse is all right because it, 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 it's mitigated by the lads being able to post a picture and saying, we go again on Tuesday type thing. It, but, but that is a reality about social media and in, in football that plays a massive part. And sponsors look at it and part, part of your appeal as a player is your social media following and things. So I think it would have to take a real concerted effort across football. And it shouldn't have to come to this. Of course it shouldn't. But as Alison hinted at, until you go back and scrap all the processes with which social media started and, and start again with a verification system of every time you create account an account, until that's going to happen, unfortunately, it is going to come down to the footballers to make us some kind of stand that will then get noticed by the social media providers, which will then get noticed by the sponsors. And then perhaps there won't be so much money in it and people will start going, okay, well, we need to do this things about the people who can just create an account with no picture and call themselves, you know, Daz12345 and be a completely anonymous and send horrendous messages to people. Because that that's that's the point around Alice, the point Alison's making is the ease with which people can do this, and that is so it's 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 scary really in terms of how easy it is to cause this much hurt and harm to people. But and to, to make people to make the companies rethink that process, there needs to be more more like Thierry Henry probably unfortunately, because until until that's the case. And until pe- and while people are still benefiting from clicks and number of followers and sponsorship and advertising is all being geared through that, as as Gregor says with the Yandanda point, social media are going to keep hiding behind this. Oh well, people should be given a chance. Blah blah blah. It's it's unfortunate, but that's on the reality of where we're at at the minute. I think. Also, I don't know. I think also that we're trapped into thinking when when somebody. Um, retweets the abuse or it becomes a story that it becomes a headline that a certain player has been abused we all the people we expect to be shocked are shocked and angered but the people <laughs> that we don't matter the people who are angered by that um, and, and know how wrong it is we don't matter who the people who matter in this instance are the people who are thinking that it's the right thing to do is to use um, social media to to type this stuff. And all you're doing by making it into a, a story or retweeting it is you're actually reinforcing the fact that this might be this might be a powerful thing to do. You're, you're almost advertising it as a place to be abusive because you can see just by typing a few words or an emoji, you cause ripples that you would never be able to cause or have the nerve to do in the street or in a shop or, you know, let people see you do it, but you can sort of semi-anonymously create ripples. And I just think we're feeding into this narrative of the type of person who needs to behave this way. We're, we're giving we're giving them that platform, that sense of self-importance. At some point, we have to we have to wonder when we're indignant. Indignant. What? what, what how does that serve any purpose at all? So I think it doesn't. It does. It certainly does not make somebody who typed 
abusive language think oh god i didn't realize you know that would be oh yeah that'd be hurtful oh i won't do that again they think great i'm having an impact gregor do you think um football clubs now should advise their players to stay away from social media or is it about educating them on the, the platform itself not to maybe take abuse too personally yeah clubs can do that all they want they can try but it's, it's very difficult um I just, I think we're kind of, we're slightly moving away from, well, this is all true, but we're moving away from the purpose that Henri believes that the social media companies can do more than they're currently doing. That's why he's done it. So, and I think, I think he's probably right. Um, you know, he's, he drew the parallel with copyright infringement. Um, and we're, I, I gave an example of what seems like a fairly lenient uh, attitude towards racists. So, that's that's the that's the crux of the conversation here. I think you know, Henri's Henri's done something that he thinks, you know, if more people perhaps were to follow him, uh, follow his lead, that maybe the, maybe the social media companies would would decide decide that it was gonna it was hitting them in the pocket, which is their number one issue, and uh, they would do something more. So. You know, I think that's that's the nub of the conversation. Yes, we're given. I, I agree with the Alison. Actually, we're, we are given given these people air um, and a platform. But the, that's that is the the very purpose of <laughs> of social media. It gives everyone a platform and it lets them converse with, or uh, you know, it lets footballers connect with fans and and so on and so forth. That's the very purpose of the platform. So. Uh, I don't think that's ever going to change. Uh, we're all on social media. We occasionally get feedback for the game podcast on on Twitter, for example. Some good, very, very rarely bad, of course. Um, by the way, if you do enjoy the podcast, the best way to let us know what you think is to go on to Apple or wherever you get your podcast from and leave us a five-star review, naturally. Um, but, Alison, you know, in the times that I've had negative, you know, abuse or responses on social media, you know, those are the ones that you, you do take to heart and you guys are m- much more prominent journalists than me. And that stuff must be far more regular. Do you think Alison, that your experience of social media would have been better? Maybe your experience in journalism could have been more positive if you, you would, you had never seen those negative comments on, on social media, whether that be from you being off it or the social media companies doing more to stop you from seeing it. My experience of journalism would be better. No, I, I want, I have no object. Well, this just boils down to this, doesn't it? I have no objection to somebody either on the comment section on t- the Times digital platform or on social media saying to me, I think, I think you're wrong, Alison. I think Gilfie Sigurdsson's really not very good at all. <laughs> and I'm slightly tired of you banging on about him. I don't there's mind abuse. that sort there's, there's, of... There's, there's abuse, isn't there, as well? <laughs> and there's, there's abuse. Just, I, yeah. <laughs> I don't mind that. I don't mind that at all. I don't mind that at all. But it's, it just seems to me we're just incre- becoming increasingly as a society incapable of having a rational just a rational conversation about something. Are we losing the ability to disagree with someone in a productive and polite way? And to not only disagree, but then be prepared to listen to the reply and then engage again and say, oh, okay, that was interesting. I, I hadn't thought of it that way, but had you thought of this? It, that is going out the window. That, doesn't, that does not seem to happen very much anymore. And, and 
so it's not just about abuse it's it's just about the ability to listen and to acknowledge the fact that there are more there is more than one opinion on every single subject they're slightly different things aren't they because there's no there's no reason or rationale for trying to engage with the kind of abuse that certain people get but i i can and Alison's right it requires someone to ignore the abuse you're getting and try and engage with people to almost talk them down from their immediate rage they feel. I, I once wrote an article about um, how Eden Hazard was the most brilliant player in the Premier League and a Liverpool fan was so angry that I'd suggested that Mo Salah was not the most talented player in the Premier League. He said, you effing idiot, you're an absolute t- tosser, blah, blah, blah. Far more uh, blue language than that. Um, I, but I, I replied to him and just engaged with him on the idea of what Salah was good at. And actually, he replied, and again, he was something like, you know, Henderson and the Barmy Army at blah, 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 something like that. And he he replied to me and actually said, oh, sorry, got a bit worked up there. Sorry for swearing at you. Blah, blah. And we actually got into an engaged conversation. That's obviously the a unique scenario. What platform was that, Tom? That was on Twitter. So that was on Twitter. So someone someone had seen seen the article that had been posted with my name attached to it, replied to me, telling me what an idiot I was, how I was clueless, and that I was several other things. I replied and said, oh, interesting point about Mo Salah, da 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 He's actually mentioned in the article. Perhaps you could have a read. He replied saying, I'm actually, so really sorry, mate. I haven't actually read the article. Just got worked up by the headline. I was like, Okay, no problem. So again, rather than reply to him and say, "Well, you're an idiot," then why have you why are you calling me all these things, names under the sun when you haven't even read my article? Oh, okay, that's fine. Maybe you could read the article. We've actually got a free trial on at the Times at the minute. Maybe you could have a click. <laughs> Good sales. Three hours later, he actually replied and said, "Just just signed up for a free trial and read it. Really interesting. Still think Salah's better player though." Winky emoji. So that that interaction left. Yeah, but there's a, but there's a lane there. Oh, come on, we're talking about I, a lane. We're talking about lane in the sand here. That is the ideal scenario, and I've I'm and I will also say that I've done that. I've tried that again several times, and I've and rather than get the apology reply, I've got yeah, you're yeah. still a tosser. Yeah. But, but you, make, you get you make, that more no, you, often than you do. I'm just saying. I'm just merely replying to Alison's point, an yeah. excellent point about the, the nature of conversation in society. For that to happen, it requires, as I did you to ignore the abuse and and when it comes to the abuse that we were talking about at the start the kind of abuse that Thierry Henry is talking about you shouldn't ignore that you can't go oh it's okay you can be racist to me but anyway so what do you think about Mo Salah that's that's not what I'm saying but I'm saying that Alison makes an excellent point about the broader status of conversation and argument if you like in society yeah I mean I, I yeah I, I've, I generally have a rule where if, if anyone is kind of abusive I just don't don't reply at all and if and the only time I've that, that I've kind of broken that rule was was during lockdown when I wrote several articles basically saying that it wasn't footballers' faults that you know nurses were uh, <laughs> weren't being paid enough for dealing with coronavirus and things like that. You know, the footballers were getting a very bad rap, and I kind of so I got so much abuse for these things. But I often engaged with people, and they were angry. Everyone was angry at that time, and and we did kind of have constructive conversations, but. There, as we say, and there is there is a line. It's, we're talking about you know it's a very different thing we're talking about here, which is racism, and yeah, it's easy it's easy for us to say here and say just ignore it. Um, I think it'd be very different if you're on the receiving end. And I don't know, you maybe you're better, so you're, you're someone better to to talk about it than us. Well, look, um, no, I've, had, I've had, yeah, I mean, I'm probably not the only one here that's had the sort of worst type of abuse on on social media, but it's so rare 
that you can deal with it. And, you know, I was working for major organizations where there's support and you can speak to someone who can sort of ask you if you're all right and, and send you in the right direction if you've got any major issues with it. There's loads of famous people who might not feel like they're able to do that or just, let's be honest, you know, it's a tsunami for most players after a match, you know, their social media or cross platforms where they've got millions of followers. There's hundreds of thousands of insulting posts from all over the world. I mean, there is no way to compute that, particularly when it's, um, you know, it's not like people are saying you had a bad game today and you can sort of say, yeah, I did. And everyone can see that I did. And I'll go back on the training pitch and work on it. You know, if someone says, I just don't like your gender or your race or your, the way you look or the way you sound, you know, it's what, what are you meant to do with that level of abuse anyway? You know, you can't do anything about it or your sexual orientation or your religion or whatever it might be. You, you, there's nowhere for that to go. You know, you just get hit with a brick wall of, of, uh, of abuse. So, you know, I think if I was in that position, if I was a Paul Pogba or, you know, a Mo Salah or someone like that, and I had millions of followers of Cristiano Ronaldo, for example, Cristiano Ronaldo, um, you know, all right, fair enough. If I was him, I'd probably have a media management company looking through it instead of myself, but I, I'm not sure I could be on social media in that circumstance. Alison. Maybe the time has come. The time has come to ditch because everyone will say there isn't time. So what you do is you ditch teaching the Greek myths and algebra and you teach, <laughs> you teach children about the world of social media. They're not taught it. They're not taught it. If you, people seem to think it's a free for all. It's a way of just getting off your chest everything, every nasty thought you have, and that it's acceptable that if a footballer, for example, because we're talking about football, the footballer has a bad game, it is you, you're allowed to make that leap to you've had a bad game. But I also don't like you know your your the colour of your skin or or anything about you. Uh, I'll just be abusive. Oh, I can't. I can't. I just feel if we were taught this is this is the world now i think i do think education has social they just have a you know they just don't acknowledge social media exists you need to be taught how to operate and also it's it's a say it's it's not just one-way traffic i think a lot of a lot of um young girls for example tweet photos and things about themselves and they shouldn't do it, it makes them vulnerable for example i think there's a way of using social media to protect yourself and to be respectful of others. If that was properly, properly taught at a young age, and that we accepted that it's this enormous thing that causes so much pain if it's not used properly, then, and, you know, really let people know, you know it's illegal to do that. That's against the law to say things like that. Really, really educate them. And I don't know why... Um, saying oh education's a good thing has become has become a laughable thing to say. Of course it's a good thing. And schools do not do not tell young people what they're doing when they get on social media and the impact it has on them and those they communicate with. I'd rather ban it. I think these things are cyclical anyway. I think um eventually we'll all say, Do you remember when we all jumped on social media and thought it was gonna be really good? Yeah. You know, and, and in in fifty years from now we'll think, what on earth were we all doing? Twenty I think 20. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, um, you know, firstly, the majority of people don't use social media. So it exactly, is, you yeah. know, we're already in the minority in that regard. But, um, but I think as the effects of it become clearer and clearer over time, people won't want their kids on it and they won't want themselves to stay on it any longer. So we'll see exactly what the future of, of social media is. It could just be. Thierry Henry is a, is a, 
is at the vanguard of this movement. Thierry Omri, in many ways, not just this, is 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 he's he's streets <laughs> ahead for me. You know, he's he's always been a talent of the future. Let's call it that. You know, he'll be managing Barcelona soon. Don't worry about that. Um, look, let's end on um, top strops, which is maybe similar to what we've already been discussing, and not in the social media sphere, of course. I've mentioned him already. Cristiano Ronaldo at the weekend in his World Cup qualifier stormed off at full time. He threw his captain's armband to the ground after Portugal were denied a would-be winner in the last minute against Serbia. So we thought we'd discuss the best tantrums in football memory. Um, guys, I wonder if any football tantrums in your memory stood out. Gregor, maybe you want to tell us about one of your own. <laughs> uh, oh, you put me in the spot there. I don't think I had one. I was very mild-mannered here. I'm sure you can imagine. Oh, here he comes. Uh, oh, I'm friends with everyone. I don't fall out with anyone. Come on. I'm a nice guy. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. I'll tell you that um, after, because he, he signed for us like a few days later, the one that came to my mind was was uh, Leon Clark with Paolo Di Canio in like, his first game for Swindon. I don't know if you remember that. And he came on and then I think he was asked to do running afterwards. And they were like basically having a tugging war in the tunnel on the way down the tunnel. And uh, also the can go had to spring to mind with uh, the famous Paul Alcock one, the referee. So, um, But Leon Clark turned up because he came alone to Chesterfield a few days later. And uh, and he was just couldn't believe it. He'd signed like a three-year deal on, on pretty big money for League Two. and Or League One, perhaps it was at the time. And uh, he was gone after like a week because he, because the manager wanted to have, have an actual fist fight with him. So Paolo Di Canio was probably the the best stropper of all time in English football. It's true. It's true. Harry Redknapp tells the story of the Bradford game. Is that the one where he's denied? And, and to be honest, you watch the highlights. It's fair enough. He's denied, I think, three penalties in the game. The referee has not given him a single decision and he just he just walks over to Harry Redknapp and he's just like, no, I've had enough, take me off. He starts pulling his shirt off. He's like, I've, I, no, this is the famous, I think it was 4-3 in the end, maybe 5-4. Uh, West Ham fans will tell me all about it. Um, but yeah, there was a familiar tantrum involving De Canio there as well. Um, Tom, what do you think? Well, I've got, I could sit here for hours and recount many, many personal stories of my own strops on the sporting field. <laughs> but it would, it would require um, public apologies for my brother, for my dad, and lots of my friends who I play six-side football with, and I'm not going to back down. I stand by my strops. So instead, I'm going to talk about Kepa Arizabalaga and Maurizio Sarri, which is the kind of combi strop that had it all. Could have been a sitcom, could have been a, um, a stage farce. It was absolutely superb. Manager thinks goalkeeper is injured in cup final, penalty shootout about to come. Goalkeeper saying, no, 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 I'm not coming off. Sarri loses it on the touchline. Then you've got little Gianfranco Zola, everyone's friend, bit like Gregor, doesn't fall out with anyone. <laughs> Even he's losing the plot, shouting at him, come on, get off. Meanwhile, you've got Willy Caballero just there on the sidelines, warming up, trying not to look in, just keep your head down. Don't you get involved in this. It's all right. I'll be on in a minute. Got to try. And, and then the mediator, John Moss, the referee, goes over and talks to Kepper and goes, what's going on, son? Is everything all right? Okay, you're going to stay on. Meanwhile, he's talking to David Luiz, who's trying to do the whole cover your mouth so no one can re read what I'm saying to you. Goes over and tells tells Sarri, tells the manager of Chelsea, your player's not coming off. Is that all right? Fine. Then Sarri storms down the tunnel, then realises this is a terrible look if I storm down the tunnel. Gets halfway down the tunnel, comes back, 
and then watches his team uh, losing the penalty shootout. And I, I have watched, I was watching it, and I never ever wanted a goalkeeper to save penalties more than in that shootout. After that, after that complete farce, wouldn't it have been brilliant if Kepper had saved every single penalty? I think he did save one, but it was just it was the strop, the multi strop that had it all. You can't beat that, I don't think. And you've had players who've not who've refused to go on, but I'm not sure I've ever seen a player refuse to come off before. It was fantastic. I, I watched it again this morning. I, I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend. I know I did this last time I was on with our Real Madrid memories, but again, if you need cheering up on this Monday, please go and look up that Kepper and Maurizio Sarri incident. It's just fantastic. Sarri going ballistic. Is for just, ages over and over again as well and seemingly calming down a little bit Zola going okay just fine let's leave it no I'm not no this is ridiculous it's like someone and as well it's great with the commentary as well because you had the Sky commentators Alan Smith kind of presiding over it all going this is not a good look this this oh it should be the manager who's in charge oh it's like the people at the back of the playground huddle shouting a little bit of abuse <laughs> it was fantastic well that was the, that was the thing that made it as well because it was like Basically, everyone was saying, this is why he shouldn't be the Chelsea manager. The players yeah. have no respect for him. And it was yeah. all the context of, it, of his managerial position at the time as well at Chelsea. Absolutely. If you play word association games, you know, like love, hate, sky, blue, um, guilty, God, that sort of thing. Then you, um, <laughs> I'm just doing that for a theme. I mean, I didn't mean that, obviously. But um, I, when you... When you typed the word strop, Hugh, I immediately, genuinely just thought of Diego Costa. And I'm sort of slightly surprised. I expected Gregor and Tom to both go, obviously, I'm going to talk about Costa. But, um, I mean, the Times even had, in 2015, they had a, (laughs) this is the Times, the Times had the headline, watch Diego Costa throw his pink bib. I mean, you know, (laughs) the man, the man, the man was just full of, petulance throughout well he's not retired yet but he's had a career full of strops and the funniest one was that he was wearing a bit like for some reason the fact it was a pink bib seemed to get everyone very excited and he was uh he wasn't used he was on the bench against spurs when he knew he wasn't going to get on he took his pink bib off and threw it over his shoulder and it landed on Mourinho. and wow you know the ultimate petulance to be throwing a pink bib towards your your esteemed manager and he's done he's done pouty stuff throughout his career and I think probably if you were to analyze it players who are a bit stroppy are also kind of very good at their job as well he also fled to Brazil at one stage didn't he yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. I think he, he did. He fell out with Conte and he just went off to Brazil and then didn't oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what if you put it like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's true. Decent yeah. yeah. as well, yeah. <laughs> I've got another one concerning Chelsea. I think it was Stamford Bridge against Barcelona 2009. Didier Drogba, you know, accidentally bleeding through on Sky. I say accidentally, they played the clip back with the audio on of Didier basically saying, it's an effing disgrace, it's a disgrace, after they weren't awarded three penalties. Pretty clear, I think, in today's football as well um, with VAR. Um, and it put Chelsea out of the, the Champions League with a late Iniesta goal, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was that was ridiculous. That was incredible, being held back by all of his teammates and stuff like that. Always, always like a good, you know, teammates having to hold back the big big centre forward or big centre half. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo, again, do you remember that goal he almost scored against Spain? Yes, He's done about this is one of my favourites. 
He's Superb. gone past PK. He's lifted the ball over Casillas. You're like, this is the, one of the best goals I've ever seen in international football. And Nani drifts in on the far post. And to, in fairness to him, when I watch it back, the ball has probably already crossed the line when he heads it. But he heads it in and he's called offside. And Ronaldo immediately, the armband brought off his arm, flung to the ground, and he like stomps. <laughs> I love it so it's much. so good. Like a little so... kid. He's like, Ugh! and he just goes red faced. And it's honestly, it's, isn't it? oh, it's so good. It's so good. I love Cristiano, but that is so, so good. Um, Balotelli versus Mancini, the preseason tour. Love that one as well. Do you know, it's like 10 minutes into a game against, I don't know, DC United. And Mario Balotelli uh, tries a back heel into the goal from about four yards out and and it misses. I think he thinks he's heard a whistle or that he's offside. Um, so he tries this really silly back heel into the back of the net and everyone's like, but what are you doing, Mario? And immediately Mancini loses his mind, substitutes him and then Balotelli, just, they just rage at each other on the touchline. Obviously, we know they had that, that close relationship um, from their time at Inter. And it's just like, a, 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 you know, an adolescent schoolboy being told off by his angry father in this it's fantastic, ridiculous heat, by the way, in the USA as well. Balotelli absolutely pouring with sweat. Just like an, a, yeah, I, I love that one. It, it had the family feel to it. And I, I have to say... Amazon missed a trick, didn't they? If, they? if Amazon existed with their documentaries back then, a Mancini and Balotelli road trip side sideshow would have been fantastic. Tour, touring the on tour with Mario and Roberto, that would I would have definitely, definitely watched that. I'm going to pitch that around Italian TV because that that would be like the trip. Obviously, our version of the trip, but with those yeah, two, would be that. sensational. Especially traveling around tourist hotspots of the United Kingdom as well. That would be good instead of what they did when they went to Italy. But I have to say, I'm not an advocate for violence. But I still think Eric Cantona against the Palace fan is that just, was more than a strop, though. Jeez, that, that was more than a strop. It was more than a tantrum. It, it was assault, to be perfectly honest. It should <laughs> never happen in a football match. But it, but it, but it is pretty much. We were talking about abuse a little bit earlier on. I mean, that is the embodiment, the personification of what most people want to do with their abusers uh, online, isn't it? So, look, I had to mention him because, he, he, look, he gets the trophy for the biggest tantrum and ban off the back of it as well. Um, thank you for being with me for the past hour or so. I think we've run over that. Alison Rudd, Tom Clark and Gregor Robertson. Appreciate it. We'll be back on Thursday. More World Cup qualifiers to come this week. We'll look ahead uh, to the return of the Premier League at the weekend as well. But remember, you can get yourself a digital subscription to the time and the Sunday Times right now. You can get more of our award-winning journalism on all of your devices. Sign up today for one month free. Go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to get started. We'll see you on Thursday. Listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. 